0: church let's begin in a word of prayer father thank you for your word thank you for your son the word of god who came to make a people for himself to glorify you and even who spoke such difficult words to them words that would challenge us to a sort of love that does not come naturally it cannot be found anywhere in the wisdom of this world, uh, but the sort of love that's only found in your heart that we are to have as citizens of heaven. Would you help us now as we try to rise up higher than we naturally are inclined to do, to love even as we have been loved and show mercy even as we have been shown mercy. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Coming up on five years since uh, Precious and I and our family moved from Wheaton, Illinois to Indianapolis. And we loved a lot of things about our uh, house in Wheaton. It was um, tucked right in to a place called Lincoln Marsh, which meant it was lush and had lots of trees and easy access to hiking trails. Um, One thing that went really well in our time with Wheaton also uh, was we got along well with our neighbors. Um, but those two things intersected at one point early on. Uh, I was out walking out back in my backyard, and I noticed that there was a hole in the ground, and coming out from that hole were buzzing little yellow-colored hornets. I came to find out that they are yellow jackets, and they are nasty if you ever have to deal with them. So I, as a new homeowner, decided I have to defend my property. It is time to go chemical warfare on these things. So I went, and got all sorts of poison foam and sprays and things. And I read online that uh, they were less active at night. So I waited till the evening, middle of summer, and uh, I decided I would go out there and deal with the nest. But I was a little afraid of what the Yellow Jackets might do to me, so I put on my winter coat, cover up my arms, some ski pants, a hat, and even some ski goggles we had. Uh, By the time I was all suited up and went outside, it had gotten dark, so I needed a flashlight. So I went back inside, got my flashlight, I'm wandering around, and it's a lot more difficult to find a hole in the ground in the dark when you're wearing ski goggles than during the day when you're not. Uh, So I'm bumbling around, I'm spraying every divot in our yard. I'm out there for at least half an hour. But at least I had one thing consoling my heart. It's the middle of the night. No one is seeing me look like an idiot out here, right? So after about half an hour, I went back inside. Next morning, I'm going out to my car, to my horror. Here comes my next door neighbor, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. Hey, hey there, neighbor. Looked like you were having some fun last night. (laughs) Hi, neighbor. Good to see you. Well, I came to find out, actually, he was a wonderful guy. Uh, I'm going uh, to call him Rob for to protect the innocent and the guilty this morning. And Rob, it turned out, was a wealth of information about dealing with all the many pests that in the houses near Lincoln Marsh. He, he told me about a special type of powder I could use to get rid of the yellow jackets. And it did. And it actually started a very fruitful sort of neighborly friendship between Rob and myself. Uh, I would help Rob by holding his ladder when he went up to do things from time to time. And Rob would help me. Uh, at one point, he helped us when we locked ourselves out of the house, gave it, let us use his phone to call a friend. Um, Rob would scratch my back by giving me tips on how to maintain my lawn, and I would scratch his back by trimming a tree branch that was hanging over his garage. Over time, we had the sort of relationship you hope to have with a neighbor. We got along great. We treated each other well. I scratched his back. He scratched mine. Now, the world understands this principle very easily. If you want to be treated well, most of the time it works out if you treat others well. Grease the wheels with a little kindness. Kill them with kindness if you have to, and usually people will reciprocate. But as Christians, we can't be satisfied with that way of worldly loving. In fact, Jesus is going to call us to a type of loving that is so much higher than that. That it makes that lowly sort of loving look like a speck on the earth from heaven's point of view. Uh, We're at the point of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus has shifted from describing what his disciples, disciples are like from heaven's point of view to prescribing how they are to live in this world. And as we saw last week, we'll continue seeing this week, they are to have God's heart of love, even for their enemies. Uh, This morning, we're going to see a new aspect of that, as Jesus continues teaching us how to love our enemies by understanding our motivation for doing so. We are to be motivated by God's mercy to love those that don't love us back. Uh, my prayer is by the time we're done, your heart will be evident to your neighbors. Filled with the mercy that you've received from God above. Uh, we'll see that in two sections this morning. Um, in 32 through 34, we'll see the problem with lowly love. The problem with lowly love. And then 35 to 36, we'll see the reward of love from above. Let's begin in that first section. The problem of lowly love. Jesus continues right where he left off. Verse 32. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those uh, from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. Jesus shows all the marks of a master teacher. Uh, do you want to be a better teacher? I will teach you a principle that will serve you well no matter how long you're teaching or who you're teaching to. Three easy steps to make the people you're teaching remember what you're sa- going to say. Ready for it? Repetition, repetition, repetition. Repetition. Have I said that before? If not, you'll hear it again. Don't worry. Uh, Jesus says essentially the same thing that he has been saying. He says it three different ways from slightly different angles. There's a formula to it. He starts off with a question. If you love those who love you, if you do good to those who do good to you, if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive... Uh, In other words, though, if you are doing good to others that will do good back to you, or loving those who will love you back, or lending to those who will lend you back, something is the case. He asks, is that of any benefit to you? Now, from a worldly sense, of course it's of benefit to you. The world understands the principle, you scratch my back, I scratch yours. Uh, Back a few years ago, ago, there was a woman, uh, went by the name of uh, Anna, who became a big thing on the New York socialite scene. Uh, she was a German heiress who made friends very quickly by giving lavish gifts to anyone she met. Uh, even the doorman loved Anna every time she showed up because she made sure she left a $100 tip. Well, all of that, though, was revealed to be very self-serving. Uh, because all the people who became her friends quickly found themselves returning her favors in kind, paying for expensive trips around the world, buying her top-end purses, buying her cars and hotel rooms, scratching her back as it appeared she had scratched theirs. That's the way the world works, and she knew that. But it turned out Anna was a con woman. Uh, She was not an heiress of a fortune over in Germany. Uh, She was someone with maxed out credit cards and a strained relationship with her father. And that meant that the grace that people had received from her was all that they would ever receive from her. And she ended up conning people out of millions and millions of dollars as a result. Uh, You see, the world understands this principle. You scratch my back, I scratch yours. You want others to treat you well? Well, then treat them well but that's a lowly sort of love and nothing close to what God expects from citizens of heaven. Which is why Jesus asked the question, what benefit is this to you? Not in an earthly sense, but in a heavenly one. Uh, Before the eyes of a watching God, do you gain anything by scratching your neighbor's back in the hope that he'll scratch yours down the road? Jesus points out that even sinners do this. They love those who love them. They do good to those who do good back. They lend to those they expect will lend them back in the future. Uh, You don't have to be of good character to do this sort of good. But before God, this sort of good will do you no good at all. Because at its core, it's self-serving. It's really just a, a way to make sure that you are treated the way you want to be treated. So you, you do good to others in the hopes they do good to you. Uh, now, for don't for a second believe here that Jesus is saying that if there's someone who has the ability to return your kindness in kind, that you are to be cruel to them. Uh, we, this does not give license for Christians to treat anyone poorly. Uh, what Jesus is saying, rather, is that Being kind to people who you expect to be kind back to you is nothing to write home about. It's just the first rung on the ladder of love. And he expects his disciples to rise to much higher heights. Uh, One way you can test yourself on this question, maybe you find yourself being extra kind and gracious and loving to someone, you want to know, is it really just the world's way of loving? Ask yourself, what happens when they don't love you back? Uh, What happens when you are extra thoughtful and kind to your spouse? Uh, Maybe you thought of some way to bless them and delight them and surprise them. And then they don't respond with the sort of gratitude that you hoped for. Uh, In that moment, do you feel great offense? Do you even find yourself getting angry and lashing out at them? Could it be that your motivation... For doing good was not the good that God had in mind. It was actually a form of self-interest. Do you find it easy to smile and treat people well when they're clients that you hope might be able to further your business ventures? Uh, But what happens when someone in your work life, when they actually do you harm instead of good? Do you find your heart filled with venom toward them, even if it never makes its way out of your mouth? Uh, could it you be your courtesy toward them? It's more self-centered than you like to believe. All right, let's, let's make it a little lighter. You're walking through, uh, you're in line at, uh, to get some lunch, and you get to the front of the line. And the person, uh, cashier that morning, is treating you extra nicely. They're, they're smiling, they're going out of their way to be kind to you, so you say, thank you. And they respond back with, my pleasure. Where are you? Well, of course, you're a Chick-fil-A, right? <laughs> now, it is an expectation at Chick-fil-A for you to respond that way, one of the reasons people like to go there. But it's really nothing to write home about if someone is kind and courteous to you at Chick-fil-A, right? See, for Christians, we need to understand we are called to love everyone. But it's nothing to write home about as a citizen of heaven When we're kind to people, we expect to be kind back to us. Now for that, we need a different test, which is where Jesus turns his attention to in our second point. The reward of love from above in verses 35 and 36. Jesus says, but love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your father is merciful. I had another neighbor on the opposite side of Rob, uh, a woman I'll call Ruth. Uh, Ruth had lived a very hard life. Had many difficult things happen to her. She was not in good health by the time we moved in. As a result, Ruth uh, could not keep up with her property or her house. And she she certainly was in no situation to be able to help anyone on the block. Her house was run down. Uh, Oftentimes, she would be unable to do minor things that you expect a neighbor to do, like get her trash to the curb. Uh, There were even times where Ruth was highly inconvenient for our family. Uh, There was one point where she passed out in the middle of winter in her car and nearly froze to death. And we found her on our front doorstep and had to literally save her life by helping her get her blood sugar back up and warming her up in our home. Now, when I got out my snowblower each winter to go plow my driveway, I knew Ruth was going to ask for my help. I have to admit, there was a part of me that dreaded that because I'm far more self-centered in my love than I like to hope and admit I am. Uh, Ruth had no ability to pay me back for any of the kindness or love or grace I might show her, which according to Jesus meant Ruth was exactly the sort of person, as a Christian, I am called to love. Uh, Jesus has a, a strong contrast he gives us in verse 35. But on the complete opposite end of the way that the world expects us to love, by scratching the person's back that you think will scratch yours down the road, you're supposed to love people that won't love you back. Uh, Jesus retraces his steps as he's been doing uh, since the beginning of this section, verse starting all the way in verse 32. Very short, punchy commands, love your enemies, do good, lend, expect nothing, in return. Each of these categories, the point is, you're going to get no earthly benefit from doing these things. So there has to be something else that's motivating you, and thankfully there is something really, really good. Two things, in fact. Uh, the first is a reward that's promised, He says, lend expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. Now, again, we can't think of that in earthly terms. That would undermine his whole point. If you hear a preacher get up and promise you, if you just love people well enough, that means you are going to be blessed financially or blessed in your career somehow or blessed with good health. Uh, That's called the prosperity gospel. And that it could not be further from what Jesus is teaching in this verse. Now instead, Jesus is promising a reward in heaven that's yours already if you are a citizen of heaven. You get the opportunity to mirror the heart of mercy of your heavenly Father. Uh, Look what he says next. Your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. There's a concept in the ancient world of sonship that's very different from the way we think of sonship. Uh, We think when you hear someone is uh, the son of someone else, that is a a marker of genetics or maybe of adoption. Uh, But in the ancient world, a son was someone who would inherit and take over Uh, The responsibilities for caring for the family once the father passed off the scene. Oftentimes, that meant that the son would inherit the family business. So, if your father was, let's say, a blacksmith, you were expected to become the blacksmith. You were the son of the blacksmith. Or if your father was the baker, you would be the son of the baker and you would learn to bake. Uh, You reflected who was your father by doing the same things he did. In our family, uh, I am not in the same industry as my dad. My dad was an airline pilot. Uh, I don't particularly love flying. I'm good with it, but never had an interest in it. Uh, For a time, in Precious's side of the family, it looked as if she might be son of her father in a certain way. See, her dad's a builder. And for a time, Precious worked on the job sites with him, which means she loves power tools and big trucks. Uh, During that period of time where she was doing that same sort of construction work, she was acting as son of her father in the way Jesus is talking about. Uh, What does it mean to be son of the most high, merciful God? Well, it means to reflect his heart of mercy to our enemies. This is one of the hardest things that Jesus says in the whole Bible what he says of how God responds to those who are downright evil to him. He says he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. There's a doctrine that theologians call common grace. That's in distinction from saving grace. Saving grace is everything that has to do to how you are forgiven from your sins by the blood of Jesus. And adopted into the family of God. And made part of the people of God Forever an object of his saving love. Common grace is different though. Common grace is the way that God shows kindness and mercy and love to everyone that he has created. Everything he does for them aside for the work of saving. That's called common grace. It's not common in the sense that it's worthless. It's common in the sense that everyone experiences it. You live in his world you breathe his air. Which means even when people curse him, they're doing so by means of his kindness to them in his lung, in their lungs. Uh, think for example of someone who we'd all agree is a pretty bad dude back in the day. Think of good old giant Goliath. Um, Goliath of Gath, uh, he hurled blasphemies at God, he tried to kill King David, he was a great enemy. Uh, of God's people, as the champion of the Philistines. Uh, but before Goliath lost his head in a fight with David, do you realize that Goliath was loved by God? And how can I say that? Well, how did Goliath get to be however giant tall he was? Big, strong, burly, mean guy that he was. Uh, he had to eat food, probably lots of red meat many times a day. Uh, God gave him a body that was capable of incredible things. That's why he was such a renowned fighter and warrior. Uh, We're even told he had brothers. He certainly had people that adored him. He had some manner of human friendship around him. He had day after day where the sun came up and the wind blew and the world kept on spinning. I tell you, each of those days was more than he deserved. God was kind, knowing full well all the evil things that he would hurl with his mouth at the most high. Not because he deserved it, but because that's just the sort of God that we serve. When you meet someone, you don't need to know anything about them to be able to say to them, God loves you. He's been kind to you. And whether you realize it or not, you owe him a gr- debt of Gratitude. Your whole life has been a series of gifts from him. I want you to know him better than you do. That is God's common grace. And it's dispensed universally, yes, even on his enemies. It's not the way the world operates, is it? We don't feel as if people should be treated well when they treat us poorly. But if you want to be modeling The heart of God's mercy. It begins with loving people that won't love you back. Now, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, I wonder if you've ever thought about this. About the fact that you have been the recipient of God's love and kindness and mercy. Every single day that you have lived in this world. Have you ever thought about the fact that the mind that lets you think is a gift from God himself? Have you ever thought about the life that you live is meant to actually be lived in gratitude to him and for his purpose? I don't know how much you've known about God up until this point, but I think it's probably evident in your heart at this moment that you have not given him thanks the way you should. You know, one day, God will hold you to account for that as well as all the other things you've done in your life. Uh, The Bible tells us that this grace that we've received from God, living in this life that goes on for a time, it won't go on forever, that's appointed to each of us to die once and then to face the judgment of God. Uh, On that day, you won't find a never-ending supply of mercy from God, not if you enter into the day of judgment on your own terms. God, although he is loving and kind and merciful, is also just. And the Bible teaches that he will hold us each to an account for each and every sin that we have committed, even the thoughtless words that come out of our mouths. Uh, Friend, there is no one that will find that to be a good day on their own merit. Uh, Don't take the chance that what the Bible says is true And you might find the worst of all sorrows to be yours when you meet God. Instead, you need to find a deeper level of his mercy. A more extravagant expression of his grace and love. Not just his common grace, but his saving grace. See, the message of the Bible is that this merciful and just God did something that none of us deserves. Uh, he sent his son to save his enemies, evil and ungrateful as they might be. Uh, the name for that son is Jesus. Uh, he was the man that lived the perfect life. Though he had no sin in of himself, he died a sinner's death, a sacrifice on a cross. Uh, that was God's way of paying the penalty that sinners deserved as his justice is expressed in his wrath. By Jesus being punished, we can be forgiven. And friend, if you'll repent of your sins and throw yourself on the mercy of God by asking Jesus to save you, you will find more mercy and love and grace than you knew possible. You'll know what it is to be a citizen of heaven and never fear the wrath of God on judgment day. Uh, If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian and that's new to you and maybe you have questions about it, Let me just encourage you, after the service is over, uh, turn to the person next to you and ask them, would you mind explaining to me a little bit about what the preacher said about being saved from God's judgment? They would love to explain to you how you can experience this yourself. Now, if you are a Christian, though, and you are one of those who has experienced the grace of God in his mercy that has covered over the multitude of your sins... I want you to realize that this call to love your enemies is only possible when your motivation is the very mercy of God that you've already received. Look at the last verse of our section, verse 36. Uh, Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. If you try and love your enemies and do good to those who won't do good back to you and give an endless amount of credit in the grace you express to others. If you try and do those things just based on human goodwill or your own innate kindness, friend, at some point you will despair because you are not sufficient for such things. But the God who calls you to be merciful has been merciful to you. The God who calls you to be gracious has been infinitely gracious to you. The God who calls you to love your enemies loved you even when you were his enemy Uh, this is the motivation for citizens of heaven to love our enemies do good to those who won't do good back to us and lend credits of grace that will never get paid back it's that we have already received far more than we could ever give out we've experienced the very mercy of the most high so we reflect it to others out of the overflow of what He's given us. So, my dear brothers and sisters, the next time your spouse doesn't live up to your expectations, or your kids don't call you on Mother's or Mother or Father's Day, or the next time your boss is cruel to you, or your neighbor makes fun of you, or someone on the road cuts you off and raises the middle finger to you. Remember the mercy that you've received and show mercy. It won't be found on this earth. Show love from above, the heart of your heavenly Father. What good is it to love when it's just, I scratch your back, you scratch mine? Uh, You see, the, the real problem with that is no one can ever learn about the true mercy of God that way. If that were the only type of love our church ever displayed to the neighborhood around us, they would assume something untrue of God. Uh, that we must somehow put him in our debt in order for him to treat us kindly. That we have to do good to God, for him to do good back to us. But what would it be like if the members of our church consistently, day after day, loved people that we knew would never love us back, who return cursing with blessing? Uh, who give without expectation of receiving, who show kindness when we are treated with cruelty. What sort of God will people think we serve if we would rise beyond lowly love to the heights of love from above and treat people the way we've been treated, the mercy of God and Jesus Christ? It's a transformational thing when you see it, and God intends for his people to mirror that heart of mercy in an overt way. Uh, back in 1989, there was a Christian family by the name of the Holmers that lived in East Germany. Um, they, this was during the time when East Germany was still under communist rule. And Christians were not outright banned, but highly discouraged. All that became inconvenient because... Along the way, Mr. Holmer became a Christian, started studying theology, and his family became known as devout Christians as a result. Well, quickly he fell out of favor with the Communist Party, and that led to a series of mistreatments that they endured over the years ahead. One of which, uh, the very head of the Communist Party, uh, a man by the name of Honecker, Um, His wife, who was the head of education in the entire East Germany, uh, made it her mission to make sure none of the Holmer children would ever be allowed into universities or higher education. There were 10 of them, and they went 0 for 10 being accepted into anything beyond basic education. Now, if you're a parent, imagine how that would make your blood boil. It's not just you that's being mistreated, it's your children. But they knew the call to love their enemies. And as often happens in those totalitarian sort of regimes, uh, eventually the person in power loses their firm grip on it and they themselves become the one on the outside. Uh, The Honeckers ended up removed from office and the Communist Party decided they had to move out of their neighborhood immediately. They were overnight made from the most powerful people in the area to homeless. And who, wouldn't you guess, are the people that took them in, except the Homers? Uh, Did they do it because they expected an apology? No. In fact, even though they hosted them for months, and even while they hosted them, received mistreatment from the political foes of the Honeckers, they never once were told thank you or I'm sorry. What would motivate someone to love an enemy like that? I'll tell you from the words of Mr. Homer himself. One account of their story I read said, Homer had always taken the words of the Bible literally. Forgiveness was a central value of his Christian faith. And no person was excluded from that. Not even the Honeckers who had made life hard for both of them for many years. Here's what he said. Here was a person who needed help, and we could not fail but to help them. Jesus also would not have turned them down, so how can we? If you've received the mercy from God and love from above, the grace that's yours in Jesus Christ, then you can have that sort of supernatural love, even for people that will never love you back because you serve a merciful God and you've received his mercy and he calls you to reflect it back to the world that doesn't love him. Let's pray. Jesus, you call us to A love so high that it can at times feel cruel to demand this of us. How can the people that wound us and curse us and do harm to us be the very people you call us to be gracious and merciful to? Uh, Jesus, I know even at this moment, there are people that are coming to our minds who, if we are honest, We are not naturally gracious toward on the inside. Instead, we wish to hurt them back or to see them brought to justice. But Jesus, we know there is something that you want the world to know about you and to see mirrored in us in the way that we love. So would you grant us now from your never-ending store, from your bottomless ocean of love, would you grant us excess supply so we can love our enemies that one day they might know you and glorify you as we do help us now Jesus even as we sing of your love to be moved by it to action we pray this in your name amen